Hello and welcome to Useful Idiots. This is Matt Taibbi, and I'm. Now you have me confused. I was gonna. I'm Katie Halper. Is that is that my line? Oh no, you you say I say this is Matt Taibbi, and then you say and this is Katie Halper. Oh, or this that is, is Katie Halper. Halper. If you want a Katie Halper is... identify, you wouldn't be the first. That's I, you know I, that's yeah. true. I can do that too. I'm I'm, I'm Halper fluid. Halper fluid. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, yeah, the, yeah, I'm yeah. on the Taibbi spectrum myself. <laughs> uh, we have a lot of stuff to get to uh, in this in this show. When we have a great guest, yes. uh, a very uh, appropriate guest, uh, who uh, did two tours as an officer in uh, in Afghanistan, Adrian Bonberger, uh, also old, a matchmaker. Just kidding. Also, it, <laughs> uh, he could be. He could, could be. be. Yeah. yeah, that's what we got to start doing on the show. Every person who looks like they have cool friends, right? Ask Just set up. serve it up. Yeah. yeah. Give us a list before you come yes, on. Yes, before you yeah. even get booked. Right. Yeah, exactly. That's the carrying charge. Obviously, a lot of stuff about Afghanistan this week. That's yes. still, it's still kind of the big thing uh, in the news. It's just the whole thing's just such a mess. Um, I guess we'll get to it. Yeah, we'll get to um, it. It's such a shit show. But, um, you know, we'll, we'll 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 talk about that. But so, it's a positive shit show. Like it's being spread at as it's being spun as a totally negative shit show as opposed to like an inevitable shit show. And I was actually listening to Democracy Now where they're like in Afghanistan where the US has evacuated nearly 60,000 people. Right. Um, which is not, of course, how, I mean, we, Monday morning, Matt wasn't here. Matt was, has been on vacation. So welcome back by the way. And Matt, and Matt I'm is still on vacation, but yeah. Oh, he's still right. That's why yeah. he has that New England, New Englandian background. Right. Um, but we talked about this a lot and how the framing, it's just the premise is just baked in there is that this is awful and there are not enough people who have been, uh, you know, evacuated. And like, what's the standard? I mean, for all we know, well, you, you actually do know this, but there is no standard by which people are like, I don't know what the metric is. It's just apparently bad. It's funny because I think there there's the criticisms coming from different directions. There's clearly kind of this right-wing neocon, neoliberal uh, criticism that's sort of uniform that just is blasting. I, I think their strategy is just to sort of blast the incompetence of it and to yeah. suggest, suggest that the deadline should be extended and then and then kind of shoehorn in an argument later on that maybe our presence should, should be a little bit longer generally. The neo, I feel like there's two, one argument is actually just like pro-war it's not as it's not like MSNBC, right? But there's some people on the right. I guess. Well, does anyone want us to? Yes. Openly clearly. want us to stay, right? Not like, openly, but not openly, right? So that's the thing. There are people who actually want to stay. Then there are people who are doing the like, oh, it's just the execution of it. Um, right. And those people, some of them are cynical and want us to stay and are pretending that it's about the execution of it. Then you have the classically cynical you know, human rights, women's rights. But then the problem is you get people who in good faith are making those arguments well, because I mean, they hear them. Yeah, I mean, I think the way you deal with that is you say, you say the, 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 the true thing and the surprising thing, which is that Joe Biden is sticking by this deadline, which I, I'm, I, I can't, I'm really surprised by. Yeah, me too. This is, this is somebody who was like the most aggressive Democrat about going into Iraq. Clearly, in terms of his actual belief system, he was very into us going there. Maybe they've had a change of heart. Maybe they've had a come to Jesus moment about the realities of what can be accomplished there. Although I, I hate putting it that way because we, it's, it was never about that, I don't think. Right. Uh, but um, 
but you know they're sticking to this withdrawal, which I think he should, he deserves a lot of credit for. However, there's no question that they completely screwed up this operation, and I, I think they did it because they believed their own press clippings about how much control they had over uh, various parts of the country because they've been systematically lying to themselves about all sorts of things, which we're going to get to, by the way, Adrian has, right. uh, has a lot of stories about that. So yeah, it's, it's been a mess. Yeah. I think you have to give them some credit for, for sticking to the withdrawal, but they're not immune to criticism for screwing yeah. this up. So you're saying the ex and we'll talk about this more with the actual person who's, who's a veteran, but you're saying like the execution was problematic, but the media's critique of it is mostly disingenuous. I think so. from People who just didn't want to pull out anyway. Yeah, and I, I think I think they I think in some on some level they want to go back or they want to set the stage for staying longer in other places. Right. It, like th this was going to be a mess no matter what. Right. Uh, That's the thing. Yeah. And and the, the 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 thing is they just they just could have done this differently. Like when when you send when you have to send troops back to yeah. secure the airport, that means that you that automatically means that you guessed wrong about how this was going to go. So that's bad. Right. But they could be they could be sounding the alarm, so to speak, in a way that was less pro-war. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. You, Closetedly pro-war. Yeah. You could, you could sell it in a bunch of different ways. Yeah. And cl clearly a lot of the, it's funny how a lot of the Republicans sort of reverted back to 2004 era pro-interventionist cheerleading as soon as it started to go wrong. But yeah, I mean, everybody's doing it, I guess. So. Right. Like they were, you mean when Biden was president, like before they were like anti-war, anti-endless wars, and now they're like. Well, in the Trump era, I think they, that there was a little bit of that. You started to see, we should give Trump credit for not starting new wars. And there was a little bit of, we should give Trump credit for deciding to pull out of Afghanistan and blah, blah, blah. Right. Uh, but as soon as Biden started to screw up with the withdrawal, I think a lot of that rhetoric sort of dried up. Right. And the same people who were giving Trump like not very due. I mean, he was not ideologically endless wars, but he, you know, he did, you know, Soleimani, Syria. Oh, the, bo the bombing, the droning, all that yeah. stuff. Yeah. But but I'm saying the haters of Biden were very much like, ooh, endless war. And then once Biden announced the pullout, all of a sudden they were like boo this is being done poorly right right um yeah it's yeah. weird to be like cheering for biden kind of i mean yeah. allowing for the criticism of his ineptitude but yeah yeah there's all kinds of stuff that's that is weird about him and and harris like she she had a couple of odd moments this past week uh, as well but look there it's very unusual to see the government sticking to a withdrawal timeline yeah because I mean, they've been blowing them off for so long Right. Uh, including his former boss, Barack Obama, did it repeatedly, right? So this is the moment that Biden became presidential. That's right. That's right. Who was it? Was that Fareed Zakaria or was that uh, Van Jones? The, about... Van Jones. It was both yeah. of them. Yeah. Both, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They should have a show together called Becoming Presidential. Right. Van Van Caria. Yeah, I like that. Van Caria, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so what do we have for uh, for Democrats suck this week? So for Democrats suck, I thought we would talk about um, Biden's decision to it's kind of a double double whammy. Biden's decision to nominate Rahm Emanuel to be. Uh, do you know what he's going to be? Not what he nominated him for. If we do you know this, Matt? OK, no, I've been, off the top yeah. of your head. Guess what? Guess what position? Sec Secretary of awesomeness. I don't know what. What is it? He's already it is that uh, yeah. ambassador. Guess which country? ambassador it's not afghanistan is it no, no that would be amazing 
Wilson, uh, do you mind um, showing the tweet? Japan. Clyburn, yeah. I said, so James, so here's the double whammy, because not only did Biden nominate Rahm Emanuel, who we'll discuss a little bit uh, in a second, for the ambassador of Japan, but James E. Clyburn, who calls himself the most progressive Democrat, supported President Biden's nomination. He tweeted, I support President Biden's nomination of my former colleague, Rahm Emanuel, to be ambassador to Japan. I work closely with him in Congress and when he served as chief of staff to President Obama, he has the experience necessary to advance our country's strategic objectives. Now, if we could just play that clip of, of Clyburn describing his own politics. Well, let me say this. There ain't nobody in the Democratic Party of the United States of America that's more progressive than Jim Clyburn. Nobody. I met my late wife in jail protesting the status quo. John Lewis and I, you would not call John not progressive. But John would never yell, burn, baby, burn. John would never say defund the police. As progressive as he was. And I'm just as progressive as anybody else. More the progressive, progressive the most progressive. Well, there's nobody more progressive than him. So he's at least a top ranking progressive person. If not the most progressive, he's among the most progressive, right? This is such just a fuck you to the people of Chicago, to progressives. You know, it's like you had one job to do, Joe Biden. Well, you had a couple, but one of them was like just not nominating like Rahm Emanuel, just nom it's like with the New York Tandon thing, like nominate people who aren't overtly evil. Right. Like nominate someone who's just as bad, but isn't just such a fuck you or finger in the eye to progressives. You know, a lot of people have been demanding that Biden not uh, name Rahm Emanuel to, for instance, Department of Transportation. You know, as much as I kind of like the idea that he won't be in this, he'll be spending more time abroad. It's just, again, it's just so off. It's such a that, fuck you. That's not abroad enough. Like, if they really want to yeah, do it, they're right. like a, like the ambassador to Neptune or something like that. You yeah, know you're I right. Mean? Yeah. Have him in a tight orbit. You know? Yeah, I could just imagine him, actually. Couldn't you imagine him in a spacesuit? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Right. Like yeah. rotating. Um, <laughs> but he, you know, it's also, it's just so gross to watch, like, Clyburn sell himself as this uh, civil rights icon, voice for civil rights, when, you know, among the many terrible things that Rahm Emanuel did was that he covered up the police murder of Laquan McDonald, who was a 17 year old young black man. He didn't wouldn't, share it wouldn't have been found out without a court, without a, a FOIA request or a court order or whatever. Yes, something like right. that. Yeah. It was hidden from public view until ordered by a judge to share with the public. You know, he's just done, he like, he uh, shut down most of the mental health clinics or he slashed the budget for mental health clinics in Chicago. He eliminated the city's Department of Environment, which caused an uptick of lead in water. He was terrible on teaching and education. You know, he was a big like private contractors and schools standards and curriculum, charter schools. So mm -hmm. he's not good. And right. also we know, according to Barack Obama, he urged him to kill more people. Well, his, his whole is, tenure as chief of staff was like yeah. expanding that the the droning program, the droning program, you know, the the assassination, yeah, the, the sort of legal pretext for that him and Leon Panetta were kind of instrumental in, in that whole side of Obama's presidency, which doesn't mean it's not a bitch move for Obama to blame assassination programs on someone else. But yeah, no, the 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 Rahm Emanuel thing is just it's just trolling. 
frankly. But uh, well, Nero was was more trolling. Nero, the, the Nero thing was just a flat out fuck you to the Bernie people. Not sure. There's there's probably also some other horse trading going on with the with the Rom appointment. So yeah, so it's trolling. You're saying it's just trolling. Yeah, it's, I mean, Rom is probably less overtly trolling than Nero, but it's it's trolling a little bit. It's like we can do this. Who's going to stop us? Right, exactly. He's such an unlikable fellow. Your spider sense goes off with him like like he's into something really weird in his private life, like, you know, hanging himself in this like autoerotic asphyxiation or something like that. Well, we know he leaves fish heads on on his enemy's uh, doormat. Well, I mean, we all do that. So who doesn't? We don't like to. Yeah, exactly. Um, He's missing a finger or something. Not that I hold that against him. I did he skate over it or something? I think he skated over it. His own finger. Wait. Yes. Hold on. That's hold hard on. to do. I almost admire that. I went to school with someone who did that actually. No, I think maybe her dad skated over it. You know what? He probably didn't. <laughs> You're right. He probably didn't skate over it. Hold on. Let me check. It was snapped off in an orifice. While a high school student working part time at an Arby's, Emmanuel severely cut his middle finger on a meat slicer. Whoops. Sorry, yeah. I was totally off. Which was later infected from swimming in Lake Michigan. His finger was partially amputated due to severity of the infection. Okay, so I'm kind of impressed he worked at an Arby's. Yeah, yeah. That's I mean, much more like working class than I thought he was. And I, I guess if you're gonna lose a, lose a piece of a finger, doing it at Arby's is just probably the best way. It's like an honorary place. What would be what would be some of the d- dishonorable ways to lose a finger? Well, skating over it, which I made up. I didn't actually lie. I got confused. You know why I thought that? Because he went to, because he was a ballet dancer. So I combined uh, the ballet. Well, maybe he was ballet dancing in Arby's. I combined the fact that he was a ballet dancer with uh, the fact that there was a body of water, and I put that to get me to skating. Right. Right. No, that, that's Apologies. understood. That's understood. As long as, as long as he wasn't uh, ballet dancing in Arby's, I think, I think, yeah, we can let that right. go. So well, maybe that's a true story. Maybe, maybe. Uh, m- moving from Rahm Emanuel to Republican suck. There were obviously a lot of a lot of candidates we, this week. Uh, I didn't want to do the, the legislative stuff because some of that's some of that is complicated. I just don't want to get into it. But the it's the, boring. It's boring. Also, um, this is classic. This is here's Newsmax. You know, in the middle of, of this Afghan crisis, um, here's a Newsmax reporter. And obviously, this isn't Republicans. It's just conservatives. But we'll, yeah. you know, we we do that every now and then. This I think they tend to vote Republican. These guys. Yeah, yeah. So, um, Matt, if we could just see the the video from this this one commentary on on Newsmax. Bringing potentially hundreds of thousands of Afghanis to America. This is a terrible idea. Now, we should learn from the disastrous experience Europe had with Afghani men and systemic sex crimes against women. Just a few weeks yeah, ago, I, think he means Afghan. I, I did that too. So. Was raped and murdered in Austria, and three Afghani migrants have been charged with that heinous crime. And because of that crime, Austrian Chancellor Kurz he made it clear just this weekend that Austria will not accept any Afghan refugees. Statistics show, as I detail in my new op-ed, that that terrible case in Austria, it is hardly isolated. It's not just an an outlier. It's the worst example, but it's not an outlier. Police numbers show the relatively small Afghan population there in Austria commits an astounding half of all sexual assaults in that country. 
According to the Hoover Institution at Stanford, according to their research, once the giant wave of Afghan migration to Austria began in 2015, total sexual assaults there grew by a staggering 53% over the next four years. As the Wall Street Journal reports next door in Germany, foreign-born residents right now account for one-third of all sex crime suspects. Now, given these realities in Europe, is the mass migration of Afghan men to America really a good idea? Good for your wife, your daughter? So, yeah, that was the line. Good for your wife, good for your daughter. Like, this is, this is the whole, like, they're bringing rapists thing. Right. It's kind of woke because it's not just Mexicans. That's true, right? Yes, they're 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 being they're, it's sort of more it's sort of an intersectional, yeah, 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 yeah. The one thing this this little soliloquy leaves out is that uh, if we were to have an influx of Afghan uh, immigrants, um, they would be fleeing our a, a disaster we created in their country. You know, that's kind of a consideration that you might want to might want to add in there. It, it makes it sound like they're just like prowling the world, right? Yeah, like they, they they were they were scheming to get in to get get their hands on on uh, you know uh, where where the white women at kind of a thing, right? So I don't know. That's just classic in in the middle of this crisis to go there is is kind of amazing. Although I guess it's not to be it's, it's, right? no, it's very it's very on brand. Do do you think that was surprising or no? No, no not really. Yeah. I mean, I was a little surprised about the Afghani thing only because I thought like he'd have a script that he would have submitted to someone and they would have checked and said Afghan, not Afghani. But right. Uh, yes. Yeah. No. But right. maybe if they, maybe like they probably wouldn't have wanted to correct him. Honestly, it's like a badge of honor to, you know, these colors don't bleed. Right. Yeah, exactly. All that stuff. You know, but wait until, by the way, he finds out what things that some soldiers do to women. Yep. Surprisingly, not, not all of them are positive. Yeah. Surprisingly, yeah. All right, so so that happened. So what do we have for uh, isn't that weird? Mm -hmm. Um, so for isn't that weird? Actually, stole a would be isn't that terrible because I gave you a really good isn't that terrible. I don't know if you saw that isn't that oh. terrible that I gave you. Oh. Oh yeah, I gave you a really good one. Sorry. Did you I see think it? you did? Yes. The the I think we're talking about the same thing. Okay, but anyway, yeah. go yeah. So for the isn't that weird? Um, shout out to Matt Wilson actually who found this story. It's a sad story, so it's almost a terrible, but it's weird enough. And I think a lot of people are going to really uh, enjoy this, though, because it brings up a lot of ethical questions. It's not quite necrophilia level breakthrough analysis, but it's good. So uh, reading at People magazine, uh, uh -huh. uh, Belgian woman banned from zoo after four year, quote unquote, affair with chimpanzee. OK, wait, uh, I got I to interrupt you quickly. Yeah. I get, a little, I get a level of my protest over this headline, but we're going to get into that. OK, right. go ahead. Yeah. Well, do you want to? level it now or well i just think i think it promises more than it delivers but go go ahead well yeah but i mean whose fault is that that's addy's fault that's true that's true All right so yeah. here's why yes it's not quite so addy timmermans is banned from coming in contact with a chimpanzee at the antwerp zoo in belgium a Belgian zoo is making headlines after it banned a local woman from visiting the park's chimpanzee exhibit due to her, quote, affair with one of the primates. A chimpanzee named Cheetah arrived at the Antwerp Zoo 30 years ago, and over the past four years, Adi Timmermans has visited every week, developing a close bond with the animal. According to Newsweek, Timmermans oh. said this, I love that animal and he loves me. I haven't got anything else. Why do they want to take that away? <laughs> she went on to add, quote, we are having an affair, I'll just say. 
According to the outlet, the affair Timmermans mentioned involved the two waving and blowing kisses to each other from opposite sides of the primate's enclosure. The zoo recently claimed their lengthy relationship is negatively impacting cheetah's rapport with the zoo's other chimpanzees, causing them to ignore him and not consider him part of their group. A spokesperson for the facility said an animal that is too focused on people is less respected by its peers, and they've banned Timmermans from making contact to prioritize his well-being. Zookeepers are now working to help Cheetah learn to interact with his fellow primates. Yeah, so it's a, it's a you can't stop our love kind of a thing. Yeah, right? that's bullshit. I'm sorry. Look, they have a weekly once a week they see each other. I mean, OK, I'm not going to I'm going to be I'm going to level with everyone and say it's not a good idea. Addy, don't say you're having an affair. Who? Why would you do that? Why would you say that you're setting yourself up and you say you have nothing else going on in your life? So yeah. you don't pretend. First of all, you're over promising. Second of all, you're just making yourself look like a criminal and you're not. There's nothing sexual. It's a bond. And the zoo is being unreasonable because if they wanted to, they're doing a bad job socializing cheetah. What kind of zookeepers are they? What kind of chimp keepers are they? And right. maybe, well, okay, fine. You don't have to be extreme. Maybe, maybe Addy can only come once a month. But to go cold turkey, expect her to go cold turkey, cold chimp. You're welcome, everyone out there. Didn't plan that. Um, yeah. That's just too much. Yeah. That's just cruel. And why can't they have a friendship? Right. I don't, yeah, I don't buy it. I don't buy it. I think someone hates I think this is a personal beef. It's Bel it's Antwerp. Uh, it's jealousy. It, it's jealousy. I feel like someone's like, you know, there's like a some kind of family. Or maybe it is jealousy. But she did say, I love that animal. and He loves me. I haven't got anything else. Why do they want to take that away? Very. We're it's having very a fair, like, just it's say. very Edgar Allan Poe, Annabelle Lee, like our forbidden love, like he the heavens wouldn't allow it. Yeah. The, the winged seraphs are judging us. It's it, it, cool it, and unusual. I think you're as right. is the she, habit. She 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 sold that wrong, you know. Terrible. Yeah, really bad PR on Addie's part. Right. I don't have anything else. Like, you know, I think you should have just played it cool. Like I did yeah, this with every cool. chimpanzee. Like, exactly. You know. Why um, pathologize your very close fr friendship with a chimpanzee? <laughs> Why are you going to make it sound weird or desperate? I mean, she's selling it wrong on both levels, on a PR level and also for Cheetah, because if I'm Cheetah, I'm not going to want to hang out with you anymore. I hope Cheetah doesn't read this or catch wind of this. Well, yeah, yeah, probably he's not going to like the blowback on social media. I mean, just let, either, let, yeah. let, let them hang out, you know, yeah. let them, let them they don't even like touch. each other's photos. Right. Yeah, yes. right. Let them blow each other kisses. That's very cute. It's so cute. And part of what makes this complicated is that Cheetah's um, already predisposed to be fascinated with humans because he was a pet before joining the facility. Uh, so he uh -huh. was already kind of like, so don't put this on Addy. Yeah, she exactly. Don't humans. put it on Addy. And, yeah. don't, and don't, don't be like, oh, it's harming his socialization. Like that already happened. That already happened. He's already you know, damaged make, goods. Make which the is best why of a bad situation. Together. Yeah, exactly. exactly. She has right? nothing else going on in her life. He has inappropriate boundaries with animals. Right. So I think, honestly, they are getting in the way of their love. And even I mean, I, it sounds pretty platonic. Again, I right. don't know why she called it an affair. Yeah. I mean, they haven't even gotten a second base. I don't think so. It depends right. how long the chimp's arms are, though. <laughs>
to be fair. <laughs> to be fair, we don't know. Yeah, we, we don't know, know. exactly. Sort of, it's a cute chimp too. Anyway, it, so that's my isn't that weird. It is it is a that, that is a that is a weird story. I I, yeah. I appreciated that when I saw that. Uh that 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 is a classic of the genre. And it's interesting, just really quickly, what's interesting about that is it's the reverse of what we usually see, which is where people downplay the romantic nature. Yes. Anyway, and this is their upplaying. It's not actually there. Okay, so moving on to isn't that terrible? I'm pretty sure this is the one you're talking about. This is the, this is the story that, that I believe uh, you gave me, Katie. Uh, it's from the New York Post. And Matt, if we can uh, call this up. It's so bad. Man dies after having sex using epoxy adhesive instead of a condom. What the fuck? Now, I think as, uh, most of the people who follow the show know that I'm very harsh on reporters who do this kind of story and don't put a pun in the lead. Yeah. And so here's one where somebody died. It's tragic. And yet the the author still went there in the lead. So if we can read the lead sentence, it's his phophylactic resulted in fatal organ failure. Faux, F-A-U-X. Phophylactic. Yeah. Yes. Uh, police are probing the bizarre case of a 25-year-old Indian man, probing, exactly, who suddenly died after using a high-powered epoxy resin instead of a condom before having sex. They used the adhesive, quote, they used the adhesive to avoid pregnancy, a local investigator told the Times of India of the prophylactic fiasco, which occurred June 22nd at a hotel uh, in Ahmedabad, uh, Gujarat. According to a senior Ahmedabad city police officer, Salman Misra, of Fatawadi and his unnamed ex-fiance were captured on closed-circuit television security footage entering the fatal flop house in the Juhapura neighborhood of Ahmedabad. Several witnesses said that Mirza, uh, along with his former fiance, both of whom were addicted to drugs, had gone to a hotel. Uh, quote, there, they applied an epoxy adhesive on his private parts um, as they were not carrying any protection. Uh, in addition to sealing off Mirza's manhood, the couple also mixed the epoxy with, quote, whitener and inhaled the mixture for a, quote, kick. News 18 reported the lovebirds acquaintances told an official the doom duo were intoxicated from the chemical cocktail at the time of the ill-fated hookup. The following day, Mirza's acquaintance discovered the man lying unconscious in shrubs near his apartment, near an apartment complex, whereupon he took him home, according to the Times of India. His condition deteriorated rapidly. Police report that Mirza died due to multiple organ failure caused by the MacGyver-style contraceptive. Meanwhile, the man's friends suspect that he might have lost consciousness while abusing the chemical and the counterfeit condom only accelerated his demise. So it kind of goes on from there. But um, a condom's pretty much got to be a a solid, unbroken thing, right? I mean... I'm torn because on (laughs) one hand, it's like he was acting responsibly within a very, do you know what I mean? I I mean, he wasn't responsible because it was a non, not only was it a non-condom, it was a very dangerous thing to put on yourself, but like, and this is a very sad story. And I feel like I feel very bad for this person and uh, all of his relatives and friends, but What's in your head when you're like, I don't, I want to do the right thing. I don't want to get someone pregnant. I'm going to be responsible and put, I'm going to, I'm going to put an epoxy on, on my penis and, and inhale it for an extra, yeah. extra and epoxy on both your houses, houses being oh, face and penis. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I feel bad, but this is this is sort of classic Darwin Award behavior. Yeah. And the friend took him to the house. I feel like that's a directly to the direct to hospital intervention. Yes. So maybe he didn't know. He just found him in shrubs. Maybe he didn't know. How did he find him? Oh, good question. Yeah, also, good question. What 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 did the did the epoxy harden in that shape? Oh wow. That they should put if they cremate him, they should put that could be like an urn. That's right. It could be the receptacle in which they hold the the remains. Ashes. Right. Remains, yeah. It's a little it's a little plaster caster-ish. I mean, remember that was the big fad 60s rock stars did this. Right. Um, I actually I'm sure didn't know what that was until the show when you I had to ask you what that meant. Yeah. Yeah, but I'm pretty sure they didn't use a toxic chemical that was also used as, as a drug. Right. Um, to give you an extra like I like I think if you if you're taking drugs to the level where you're where you're huffing the stuff you put on your penis to prevent right. contraception, you, you should... probably need a different dealer, I think, at that point. Yeah. And you the know? whitener. What kind of self-loathing that right. just makes that it even more thing. tragic? That's colorism. You throw colorism into the into the mix as if you needed more. Right. Yeah, that is that is messed up. But that is a good rule of thumb. Right. So never put on your penis something that you're using. I mean, well, if the goal is contraception and not death, don't put something on your penis that you're getting high off of. I think There's that's probably a- some herbal. There may be something in nature that's like you can get high off of and make some kind of prophylactic off of. But you know, it's on you guys, useful idiots, fans. Let yeah. us know. Yeah, let, let us, us know. Let us know what that is. And if you've yeah. done it. And if you've done it and if you've survived and if you haven't survived, you can't let us know unless you have some kind of suit. Well, I remember one of ours in that terrible was a guy who like, I think killed a girlfriend and, and then involved time travel or oh, thought that you could undo it or something. Oh, that's anyway, right. Yeah. Go back to yeah. Combat. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't think there's, there's any time travel involved in this. Like you can't, no, there's, I mean, there's, you there's, could, there, there's no taxi backsies no. with this. No, I just thought you could then, you could tweet from heaven or hell. Yeah. yeah. Well, that was that was that was terrible. Like, I mean, that was it terrible. was terrible. I, again, I I, I got to give a, I got to give a shout out to the to the New York Post reporter here, Ben Cost. That's pretty cold to make to put a pun in the lead on a story like that where a guy dies. But not yeah. in the header. It's not in the header. That's true. The head. The head. The head. Yeah, just the tip. Just the tip. Uh, exactly. Right. Uh, okay, so that was that was the four food groups this week. Let's and, bring on our guest, shall right? We? Let's bring on our guest, and this is uh, someone who I've known for a long time, writer uh, and former U.S. Army Captain Adrian Bonnenberger, who you can follow on Twitter at Adrian Bonnenberger. Right. You're right, exactly. He wrote a really good book uh, called Afghan Post. He's got a new one out called The Disappointed Soldier. Adrian and I talked a few months ago uh, for an interview on my site about kind of the perspective uh, withdrawal. And at the time I asked him, do you think you're, they're really going to do it? And he said that he was going to do the full Charlie Brown kick the football thing and actually believe that they they would. So I'm, I'm sure he's happy that they're actually doing it, but he probably also has some uh, some pretty pointed observations about our time there and and about about the withdrawal. So he he's uh Kind of the perfect uh, guest to interview about this whole mess. Let's talk to Adrian Bonnenberg.
welcome Adrian Bonnenberger to uh, Useful Idiots. Thanks so much for coming on. Obviously, you and I have known each other for a long time. Uh, for people who uh, aren't familiar uh, with your work if you, and, and your past, could you tell us, first, just tell us a little bit about your background and how long you served in Afghanistan and in what capacity and that sort of thing? Well, I guess the first thing to say is I'm a, a classic useful idiot. Um, <laughs> uh, perfect for the show from that perspective. Yeah, I, so I was in the army from 2005 to 2012. I was an infantry officer. I did two deployments to Afghanistan, one in 2007 to 2008 with 173rd Airborne, one from two, two, 2010 to 2011 with the 10th Mountain Division. And, um, and since that time, I went into journalism. I actually saw um, one of the things that, that sort of inspired me to get into journalism was, you know, the journalists were some of the only people who were even making, you know, any kind of attempt honesty. And uh, they, they were recording things that nobody else seemed to care about at the time. It, it felt like something that, you know, would be a good way to contribute to society or the world. So when I got out, I wrote my war memoirs, Afghan Post, uh, went to Columbia Journalism School, uh, and then ended up in, in, well, that didn't end up, I, I made an effort to go to Ukraine for a couple of years to cover the conflict there, um, which was the last time I think I was a useful idiot. Uh, because <laughs> it's very easy to be spun when you go to Ukraine or Russia. And, you know, I covered some of the nationalist militias there, looking back on things, you know, much more fairly than they deserved. Uh, and so it's easy to get sucked into, you know, into that type of thing. But yeah, I, it's it's a real honor to be on the program. I really appreciate it. And no, of course. Yeah, yeah. no, you and I talked just a, a few months ago, and we, at the time, we were just sort of looking ahead at the, the sort of plan withdrawal. And you were talking in general about some of the things that you've seen, but I, I haven't heard your thoughts on the withdrawal, the pullout, the execution of everything in the last month. So I was wondering if we could just start there. I mean, I, there's a lot of stuff I want to get into about what your deployment, what you saw while you were there, because that's fascinating. But um, what's been your take on you know the city events of the last two, three weeks? The last two or three weeks have been really awful. Uh, when when Kabul fell on Sunday, I still a buddy of mine was actually still um, there. He was uh, Brian Kastner, who's with uh, who's a great writer, and he's with Amnesty International. He I, I wasn't sure if he I mean, he was trying to make his way to the airport, and then he made his way to his to the airport and got out. And that's one little story. That's a story about, you know, a guy I know, a friend of mine who I cared about. You know, there's tens of thousands of stories like that with people who are in far greater danger, Afghans who have a target on their back. And I don't think Brian would, I don't think he'd mind me saying that, like, I was really worried about him getting out. Um, but, you know, that's very much the tip of the iceberg. There are people in, in far worse uh, conditions than that. I've, I've been trying to get an interpreter from my first deployment out uh, for the last couple of weeks with, with, with little success. I don't know when this is getting put up, but um, I, only for that reason, I won't go into the details, but, you know, people are starting to talk about what happens if you can't get, you know, one of these SIVs processed in time. That's probably going to happen. That's going to affect tens of thousands of Afghans. So, you know, I think when we talked last time, Matt, like, you know, oh, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm still glad that we're withdrawing. We have no business in that country, like period. That's the first and most important thing, overdue and, and, withdrawal. And your point was that they, we haven't had any since at least when bin, bin Laden w w w was taken out, right? 
Certainly. Yeah, that's yeah. that's the that's the best narrative arc that you know anyone can come come up with is that like that's the last time we had even like a kind of shred of reason for being there, and since that time we've had no shreds. Right. So even like the illusion of a reason for being there evaporated. Whether or not that's actually the reason, there was no like even shell of a reason after that. After 2011, shell illusion gone. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. What do you think happened here? Because I remember, again, you and I talked about how there was sort of a chronic misreporting of or overreporting of how in control the you know coalition forces were of various parts of the country, that they were underreporting how, how much control the Taliban had over various parts. Do you think they actually got to the point of deceiving themselves? Uh, in terms of how e how easy this withdrawal would be would be or like what happened there like I, I was a little confused about that i think that's exactly right i think that that's the only thing that explains what happened i mean the, these aren't people who uh you know who 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 want uh people to die and 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 if you're making your calculus if your calculus is i know this thing is going to collapse in 2 to 3 months maximum um, but I don't care. I mean, that's almost intentional harm. I think it really is just years of over, like overly rosy reports uh, combined with nobody, nobody, you know, taking the time to, to, to make an honest assessment of where the Afghans were. I know of two people out of the entire commentariat. I know of two people who, who were kind of lowballing the one, who were even saying it might not, the, the, the Afghan government might not last a year. They were saying, like two or three years ago, even they were saying, I don't think the Afghan government can, I think it'll be a reach for them to hold on for a year, but they weren't saying less than six months, you know, this right. is two months in change. So I, I think, you know, a, a lot of the, the criticism, I, I know a lot of people will disagree with me here. The criticism of Biden, who is definitely the administration is like lying now um, and, you know, not doing everything they can get people who need to get out, out who are going to die probably. They still they didn't they got themselves into the situation not through ill will not through bad intel I mean like they everything said that this was the, the Afghanistan the country as we knew it was going to last for like at least a year maybe six months to a year on the outside people who like don't get invited to any of the cool parties they were saying six months to a year everybody else was saying a year to three years Wow if you were president what would you have done. Like, let's say you got in when, I know this is kind of ridiculous, but if you had been elected president, got in when Biden got in, what would you have done differently? And then if you had done what Biden had done and it turned out the way it did, what would you have done differently at that point? Answer to number one is nothing. Answer to number two, and not to, I think looking at things and having worked now with my congressman and uh, you know the State Department, <laughs> And every friend that might have a connection to a congressman or the State Department, people who are still in the military, I would say, what we the the system is not set up to get people from Afghanistan, or Russia or Mexico or China to America. It's set up to, you know, really minimize the number of people coming into America. And there needs to be some type of capability that we can switch on, some emergency act or whatever to put like the necessary people in the State Department to look at applications that we say, you know, have some type of legal standing. 
SIVs in this particular case, and a, a particular visa that can be given to a person who's served America in a certain context. So what I would have done once things started, headed, started heading south was to get on the phone and use my mighty pen to, uh, to boost up the State Department to expedite these things. They've got flights leaving Kabul that are half full or, or less. You know, it's not, this isn't a seat problem. This is a problem of being able to just take people out of the crowd and say, get on the flight with your kids. You know, we've got a place for you to, to, to land. Um, and that's a State Department problem. And whose fault is that? I mean, like if we want to point fingers now, I think it's fair to say part of the fault of that is the Trump administration. You know, frankly, my wife is Ukrainian and she's a Ukrainian citizen. And we have been very slowly going through the process of getting her her green card, going from a permanent resident to a green card, the citizenship. And all of that halted last year for 18 months. There just weren't enough people to process in person the way it needed to be processed. So something that should have been like a 30 day, 30 to 90 day guaranteed piece of paper in the mail became an 18 month, we'll get back to you when we have the bandwidth to do this. Yeah. That's the state department. That's, immigra that's immigration when you marry somebody, you know? Yeah. So I can only imagine the SIVs are probably like, eight dudes with their hair on fire, just being like, you know, yelled at by everybody in Washington, DC right now. So you would have planned it the same way as he did, yep. but it's just that this is the, it's the, the immigration issue, which is the, the thing that really needs to be addressed. He hasn't responded well to right. this crisis. It, 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 the planning, I, I agreed with all this planning, you know, withdraw from Afghanistan. Right. And I don't care what the generals are saying, you know, do it. It's, it's been 20 years. But now once this crisis occurs, which whether it was manufactured, whether it was a, a thing that happened because people weren't paying attention, it, it doesn't matter. The crisis is here. What do we do about that? And, and as far as I can tell, there hasn't been a ton done to address the crisis. So I would have done that differently. So you wrote about this, obviously, in Afghan Post, which is a it's a really cool book. It's sort of an epistolary novel where you're 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 telling the story of your deployment in letter form, like letters written home. And journal but, entries. And journal Diary entries, yeah. Uh, but can you talk a little bit about like the, the, the sort of stages of your thinking when you were over there, like the first things that maybe were disillusioning for you when you when you got to Afghanistan? Obviously, we talked about some things like the contracting schemes, you know, the the the, the contractors having too much sway over command and, and and too much influence over the missions. But what were some of the first things that you saw? And like, and also, where were you? So my first deployment, I was in uh, on the border of Pakistan in a place called Paktika Province. It's just in one of these valleys that's ringed by mountains. People can shoot rockets at you pretty much at will, um, and that was a pretty bad deployment. It went from bad to worse over the course of the deployment. And my second deployment was in Kunduz, up on uh, Kunduz province, which is in the north on the border of Tajikistan. And that was a uh, that deployment went from bad to good. And so at the same time that I was seeing many of those things that we discussed uh, in our last talk, um, you know, I think probably most shockingly looking back on things, the MRAP boondoggle, where we basically spent $50 billion 
to rent a fleet of vehicles that were then you know, given or sold for tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars to police departments in the United States or given to the Afghan military, which is now in the hands of the Taliban. It, it, not not good vehicles for the terrain. Um, I, I was injured, uh, I had a minor injury in a rollover when I was driving all, uh, over a, a kind of um, a dirt road that collapsed because it wasn't constructed to carry 40,000 pounds. It was constructed to carry uh, Humvees, the previous thing. Looking at a lot of those types of problems, I was able to obscure them a bit because my second deployment, it truly felt like the mission worked out well. And that was in the north. And that was in a place where it was hard for the Taliban to get to. And that was in a place where, I mean, I negotiated with the Taliban. every Before every operation, we would have the mayor and the chief of police send out you know, a message, talk to their Taliban friends or their Taliban acquaintances and say, we don't want to be fighting you. We would rather you be working for the government. You know, So lay down your arms, join us and join in the effort. And they started doing that. You know, and so by the time I left Afghanistan, it felt to me like there was some possibility for like compromise, the police and the army would be able to take care of themselves. And, you know, of course, when you see something like that, it's easy for you to overlook all of the other, you know, incidences of corruption or mismanagement or waste that otherwise were, you know, all over the place. Fraud, waste and abuse, FWA is what we mm -hmm. called it. So there, there is a universe where this could have worked out more smoothly, you think? That's what I thought when we talked, but I'm, I'm not sure now. I, I don't know. I mean, now I, I wrote a piece, I wrote an essay for the Daily Beast talking about the lie of Afghanistan. And I, and I also, I, I podcasted, uh, um, actually the day Kabul fell, I podcasted with Patrick Wyman, who runs a podcast called uh, uh, The Tides of History. It's a history podcast, oh, yeah. really enjoyable. He was talking about the ways in which we didn't understand Afghanistan. And it was one of those things where talking with him, hearing him talk about, you know, to them and not just them, you know, other cultures as well, like money and transactions don't mean the same thing. Like it's more, it's as important to them or more important that their uncle or father think well of them or that their mother's sister, you know, not be offended than that they get $10,000 for moving a thing from point A to point B. And there was no willingness to see that. So I, I, I feel like actually, you know, I, I was, you know, again, title of the podcast, Useful Idiots. Like I was sort of, we were all blind, even those of, those of us who, like myself, would like to think that we were paying attention, um, you know, we're kind of deceiving ourselves um, about what was actually being accomplished there, as evidenced by the country collapsing in six days. How did something like that, I don't know if you know off the top of your head, but because uh, it sounds like a recent conversation, but is there a way that manifested? Like, how does that appreciation of cultural difference and their like, you know, holding the opinion of their relatives of themselves in high esteem versus money? How would that have like determined your behavior? So with the military, and this is something that, you know, the military even has trouble there can be misunderstandings between the military and between civilian populations in America, because the military is all about show up at this time in this uniform with this stuff. And they assume that everybody who's doing business with them is operating under those rules. And, and the US military, which again, the, going back to this podcast I did with Patrick Wyman, he said something really interesting to me that I hadn't considered before, which is that it's one of the only pieces of the American bureaucracy that works. And it works essentially the way it's supposed to because we throw so much money at it. 
I mean, it's overfunded. It 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 under delivers, but it delivers something, which, as I'm seeing right now, the State Department is actually very unusual in 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 terms of American bureaucracy. Um, and as a result of that, it it gets to expect how other that other things will work the way it wants to. And in the context of Afghanistan, that was almost never the case with the Afghan army, with the Afghan police, or with the host of Afghan contractors and subcontractors that were doing things like building roads or building hospitals or building schools or whatever else. And then the way that would the, the way that manifested itself as a problem is that the Afghans would then be treated very badly, which would create new and different problems because then they would be offended, dishonored. Um, and I think that's one of one of the reasons that we had problems starting uh, about midway through. After, you know, during the surge, we started having real problems with what were, what were called green on blue incidents. And not every green on blue incident was an Afghan who felt slighted or dishonored, feeling that they had to kind of uh, correct that wrong through badal, through through vengeance, which is a perfectly appropriate thing to do in the context of their culture. But some of them were. Um, some of them absolutely were. Wait, what's what, what's a green on blue incident? Green on blue. So it comes from the NATO color scheme for units on a map. A blue unit right. is a friendly unit and a green right. is an allied unit. So a green on blue incident is when an ally kills a blue, one of one of your own. Right. No, so the, but this is a question I wanted to ask you because there's sort of a great inflation problem with that with that whole mapping system, isn't there? I mean, I remember reading, we interviewed Daniel Ellsberg uh, on the show a little while ago, and he talked about in his book with his experiences in Vietnam, um, sort of systematically marking the areas as being one level safer than they were. Uh, did that go on in Afghanistan? Was that was that an issue uh, with, with your deployment there? But like, would, would you expect to find an area that was, you know, uh, sort of under under control and have it turned out to be something else, or what was what was going on there? The Afghan papers talked about that, but I don't know the extent that that was true. So I wrote a piece for the New Republic. I think three or four years ago, maybe when the Afghan papers dropped, whenever they dropped, I wrote that piece the same day for Adam Weinstein when he was a contributing editor with the New Republic. And I think it's called a, Another Bright Shining Lie or something like mm -hmm. that. So after John Paul Vann's book. It was right? the problem. Yeah. Yes, yes, that's right. right. Or the book about him. You know, right. the problem wasn't things that were that you you couldn't, it wasn't grade inflation per se. It was it was two other things. The first of which being that each deployment was different, and I think this is actually a different a difference from Vietnam because in Vietnam units were deployed to the country and they stayed there, and so personnel turned over, but the unit was there, and there tended to be tended to be a certain degree of institutional knowledge in the country um, that didn't, you know, prevent them from fucking up in all of the ways that they possibly <laughs> could, and then inventing new ways to fuck up. They did, but. The problem of doing uh, six or nine month deployments for the Marines or year long or 15 or 18 month deployments for the army was that the unit would go, it would be there and then it would leave. And its metrics for assessment would reset when they would leave. So a unit would come into the territory and they would say, everything here is red or amber, which means actively hostile or dangerous. And by the time they would leave, everything was amber or green, which meant 
dangerous or we can go here. And then the next unit would come in and reset it to red amber. And that happened over and over and over and over again for 20 years. So it was more like, uh, you know, however many units were going there, we're just constantly learning the same lessons over and over again. Things would change in a territory. Like I would say, although when we left, left my first deployment, I'm pretty sure all of the green, all of the slides showed us as amber trending green or green. But in fact, they had probably gotten worse since we had left. We fell in on slides that said amber, you know, amber or amber trending green or green. But by the time we left, it was probably mostly amber or amber trending red. And I can measure this because we were getting all of our resupplies in this valley from, uh, from airplanes and from helicopters. Whereas in the beginning of the deployment, people would drive to us, but the Afghans got tired of getting ambushed by the Taliban or blown up by the Taliban or kidnapped by the Taliban. So they stopped doing any type of resupply missions except for fuel resupplies when we would have to escort them with like, you know, hundreds of soldiers. Um, but my second deployment, of course, you know, I was, was I, I think we even had some different colors for my second deployment. I think we threw, blue and gray into the mix, in addition to red, amber, and green. So there was a little bit more nuance there, but it was also, you know, it was bad when we got there and it was good when we left. And I'm mm -hmm. sure that the unit that took over from us, you know, downgraded them and then upgraded them. Well, uh, Adrian, again, thanks so much for coming on. And uh, again, highly recommend Afghan Post, which is uh, in incidentally, it's like literarily a really interesting book. It's like, it's got a little bit of that sort of all choir in the Western front kind of like lyricism to it. It's really thoughtful uh, and really, I think really evokes the experience of being there, which doesn't sound like it was a lot of fun, but it was, it's, it's a really good book about, about all of this. So highly recommend that. And uh, again, thanks for coming on and, uh, and share, sharing some of your experiences with us. Thanks so much for having me. And there's only one place people can buy your book, The Disappointed Soldier. Yeah, I'm, sorry, I'm going to disappointed book purchasers. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm not doing the Amazon thing. I uh, I just like uh, the so much of that, you know, you, you mentioned like the New York Times op-ed. I think we all know, you know, that the, the way to get in the New York Times op-ed section, unless you happen to know someone, unless you've kind of, you know, I've, I've written one piece. Um, and, and, you know, it was, it was because of credibility and being in a place and knowing people, if, if, if you want to just drop a piece into the New York times, it's, you ought to have you or your parents ought to have some hundreds of millions or billions of dollars, or you need to be in an institution that's connected to those individuals. And that's the sad truth of it. So nice. I'm trying to like keep all of that stuff at hand's length. There's a great little local bookstore that's owned by a, a, a couple I know personally, um, and so they're selling it out of the bookstore. You call them, you know, about 50% of the, uh, the, the, the money goes to the bookstore directly. So it's supporting a local bookstore. It's supporting the concept of locality and knowing people and being accountable for things. And yeah. it's a pretty good book in my estimation. Excellent. Thank Excellent. you so much. And to hear the rest of the interview, please go to usefulidiots.substack.com. All right, that was great. That was great. We'll have to do a deep dive on this, Matt, because I realize some of our viewers may be too young to know how awful Dick Cheney is or to know the, how much he in, was enriched by these wars. Oh, my God. There, there's a whole subplot to just the corruption side of, of what we were doing over there. I mean, the spending, the $2 trillion that's come out, they didn't really do any accounting 
on a lot of this stuff until really late in the game in in Afghanistan. Like they they didn't have a report that really came out about where a lot of this money went to. And and I think the value of hearing stories like Adrian's is just like the the absurdity of what they were having people do over there in terms of risking their lives and Afghan lives, you know, sort of to justify money we were spending. Yeah, it's really disgusting. I mean, I know what I shouldn't be surprised, but every time I read about it, I get so angry again. Yeah, I think we talked about the Afghan papers when they came yeah, out. Did. But for anybody who hasn't actually read that, you know, that story is kind of amazing on a, on a bunch of levels because it, it sort of talks about how the contracting drove the whole mission and how they were constantly changing the metrics for what success was over there, which was exactly the same thing that got us into trouble in, in Vietnam we had a mission that was sort of undefined. So they just kept giving the military new, new ways to measure success. And, you know, originally in Vietnam, that was body counts. And then it was what they, you know, things like truck kills and stuff like that. And as you heard Adrian talk about in Afghanistan, some of it was roads built or it was areas that were green or amber, or it was, you know, high value targets killed or whatever it was. Uh, But it was incoherent and it just had no chance of really work working, even assuming that we wanted it to work right. That we, that we actually had a reason for being there. So the whole thing is completely insane. I think people should be, especially people who had, you know, their kids serving over there or something like that. I, I, I'm not sure how, how many people who are younger even know how awful it was. I think you're, I think you make a good point there. We got to have Adam McKay back on one of your favorite guests. We should ask him, right? Yes, we should. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, it's, it's crazy. And how many, yeah. What just, I mean, what are the numbers? How many people died? So the official numbers for, for people who are killed in Afghanistan, it was 2,448 American service members, 3,800 uh, American contractors, 66,000 Afghan national military and police other allied service members was like 1100 and then there was there were estimates for afghan civilians and taliban fighters that you know if you add it up it's about a, it's about 100,000 but i think that the that those last few numbers are kind of conservative if you add it all up 150,000 200,000 people dead and what was the mission really for beyond you know getting bin laden or really it was the political necessity of hitting somebody after 911 right and going to iraq i'm 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 i keep thinking that that makes so much sense too the Iraq thing that like you couldn't justify going straight to Iraq without going to the place. I mean, there were, there were ulterior motives for Afghanistan also, but yeah, well, there, were, there was at least the theoretical yes, reason right. to go into, Iraq, into Afghanistan. Into Afghanistan. Yeah. Right. Which yeah. is why people cast it as the good one. Yeah. But we stayed there for so long. I don't, I still didn't think it was a good idea. No, and neither did I. It is true. There was such a split between I feel like we were the early we were like the cool kids, the ones who knew from the beginning it wasn't good. Absolutely. I mean, if you if you go back to 2004, if you remember, that was the big debate in the Democratic primaries. We we can't have somebody um, who's running for office who doesn't know that the Afghanistan is the good war. Right. And so the the nominee had to be somebody who was sort of pro-Afghanistan and waffled on Iraq. Right. Yeah. And that's how we ended up with John Kerry. But the, yeah. it, and that, that, whole, that whole split, it, it ruined the Democrats for eight years during the Bush years because they it made their 
foreign policy totally incoherent. And then yeah. as soon as they went in and, and, were, and were unable to get bin Laden right away, the, the mission became kind of incoherent. And they stayed, you know, they, they didn't get him for another 10 years. And, and not even uh, Afghanistan. And not even in Afghanistan and not even because of anything they did. I mean, you, you listen to Simon Sy Hirsch's version of the story. It's like they were, he was handed to, to us. Oh. Um, but uh Although possibly, according to the official account, it was something else. But but um, but still, it was a long time. And and what were we doing there all that time? And why did we stay after that? It's like it makes no sense. Yeah, people should be really they should be really pissed about this. Yeah, they should. Yeah. And then there's the then there's the additional hypocrisy of people who are now who are sort of showing up on social media and and editorial pages professing to be so outraged at the betrayal of Afghan society when. They didn't have anything to say about this for 20 years. Yeah. What yeah. about the 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 air strikes, the civilian civilian casualties, the drones, the CIA? Is no, it- just just the, the you know we we gradually built up this huge force yeah. of of contractors who were in the country who were going to kind of continue the war whether we had uniform pe- people there or not, and then they you know they were they were repeating this cycle of. You know, we would blow something up and then there would be a funeral and then we would bomb the funeral because people would go to, to mourn the people we'd blown up. But we, right. we, would, cl- we would classify those people as hostiles, even if we, yeah, they why? were. And, and all that did is it like stealed the opposition to the United States, which meant we had to spend more money, which meant we had to stay there longer. And the whole thing was just is this complete clusterfuck. And, and, and a lot of the pundits who are now you know, being bleeding hearts, like, oh, we should have done this or that, or we, yeah. you know, like they, they weren't, they had, they were nowhere to be seen when, when any of this was nothing. happening. Yeah. You know, the people who were kind of all along saying, look, this is just, a, it's just a bad idea. We shouldn't be there. And it's our allies, then you get Tony Blair coming out and Andrew Mitchell's like, well, what about our allies? Our allies are furious. What's they sh- they should be. I mean, there are, our allies have culpability too, but they they should be a little bit mad too because we had no clue what we were doing in there. And um, well, no, I mean with the pullout. Oh right, yeah. That's what they're mad about, apparently. Yeah. And why is Tony Blair talking? Isn't he d- disgraced? I guess not. That's the problem. No. We gotta have a disgrace, a hall of de- defamed. It's hard to keep track of who's disgraced and why not or, or why or whatever. Yeah. yeah. So we need to make. We should have that. Like not. If not every show, maybe every month we have we put someone into our Hall of Fame. Anyway, great to have Adrian on. Um, yeah. And that was really interesting. And uh, thanks for hanging in with, uh, with us. Yeah. And um, apologies for my vacation decor, but I'll be back uh, in my other um, unremarkable decor uh, next week. So uh, we, will, we will see you then. Great. Bye. <laughs> Make sure you rate and review. Uh, subscribe to us on Substack. Usefulidiots.substack.com. Uh, uh, subscribe and rate and review on iTunes. Subscribe on YouTube. And uh, yeah, for an extended conversation and potentially uh, some chat about uh, online dating, basically Katie's misadventures on online dating, go to Usefulidiots.substack.com. We should make that into a, a whole separate show. Yeah, we should. Usefulidiots. Yeah, th- th- this, this week in Katie's online dating. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be a tragedy, a tragic. Yeah. I think no. that could be like the reality show factor. I, yeah, be, it's true. Yeah, it could true. be really it could be really good. Really, you good. should read my people should apply to go on a date with me and then you have to approve of them. Oh, wow. They have to request your hand in online datage. So am I am I going for funny or am I going for actually trying to the whole it work? package? 
Okay. Oh, package. Oh, yeah. I thought you meant funny as in the person. No, no, no. Am, am I, do I want this for comic effect for the audience or do I, do I want to actually make this work for you? Uh, you actually want to make it work for me. Hopefully it does yeah. both things. Yeah. <laughs> right. Oh, no. Hopefully not both things. Right. I guess. Although a rom-com can be funny. It doesn't. I mean, I, That's true. But I guess maybe there has to be. Yeah. Let's see. You know what? That's a good point. Good question. I have to think more about that. Well, look, we'll work out the concept. I'll work out the anyway, concept. rate, review, subscribe, do all that stuff. And we will uh, we will see you next week. Bye. Hello. Thank you so much for listening to and watching Useful Idiots. For full episodes and extended interviews, please subscribe at usefulidiots.substack.com. You can subscribe on YouTube at youtube.com slash usefulidiots for clips, live streams, and full episodes. Also, subscribe to us wherever you find your podcast. Follow us on Twitter at usefulidiotpod and use the hashtag usefulidiotspod. Join us Mondays at 10 a.m. for the Useful Idiots Monday Morning Show, where we discuss the Sunday morning news shows so you don't have to watch them. 